Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vine Pairs Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Welcome back, Cocktail College listener. After what I hope was a refreshing winter break, and I do mean that, because we are returning today with a ton of energy provided by our wonderful guest, Miss Frankie Marshall, and a two-for-one on the cocktail front. Very nice. Today's drink is, of course, the French 75, notable for including a hearty splash of champagne, try jiggering that one, and the use of either gin or cognac, which might just depend on your mood, preference, or even the time of year. As a cognac educator and expert who formerly ran a French-focused cocktail bar, there should be no surprise over Frankie's preference on the base spirit front. And while it might be a cold day in hell before she reaches for a bottle of gin, Frankie's on hand today with wonderful advice on all things juniper and London dry. She also leads us on an incredible deep dive on sparkling wine, French and beyond. And most importantly, I think, asks us to reconsider this cocktail by means of glassware and garnish. This is the French 75, listener, and we are back with a bang. Okay, great. Welcome to Vine Pairs Cocktail College. I'm your host, Tim McCurdy, and today we are joined by Miss Frankie Marshall. Frankie, welcome to the show. Tim, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'm excited to get into our drink today. Um, one that I think is notable for, for many different reasons, um, and... I believe the first that we have covered so far that's a two for one when it comes to base spirits. So excited to get into that. And of course, we're talking about the French 75. How do you feel? I feel great. You know, you've got to love a twofer, first of all. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's exciting. But uh, but yeah, I mean, this cocktail is, um, well, let, let's talk about it. I'm excited about it. Yeah, let's get into it. So first question, pretty simple question. What makes the French 75 a special cocktail in your opinion? Well, I, there's a, quite a few things. It's actually not that simple. First of all, anything that has champagne, I think, is always festive. And yep. it's a desirable drink for, for guests, for anybody, really. So whenever like that in and of itself distinguishes this cocktail. And uh, it's, it, it's just really approachable. You know, it's an easy, if people are just getting into cocktails, it's a very easy one to 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 begin with um, or to carry on with. And it's mm-hmm. open to a lot of interpretation as well. So, um, it, you know, but somebody pointed out once that it's, you know, it's a Tom Collins with, with champagne, which that hurts. That hurts to think of it that way. <laughs> but because it's much more than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I do think it is a special cocktail, too. I think that's a great point as well, because this is a drink that you could look at the components that we will get into shortly, but you could look at those and you could say, well, it's a pretty simple drink, but the idea of this show and the conversation is is treating this like a, a bona fide co- cocktail, which it is. 
Um, so excited to explore it that way rather than, you know, like you said, the Tom Collins, which is, again, it's a cocktail, but maybe not on the, on the same level as the French 75. Exactly. And just that name, you know, in itself, like French 75, what does that mean? And it's got the French in it. You know, people <laughs> love everything that's oh, French, <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And I think name, great point for us to jump off out there. The yeah. name and the history. So can you, can you talk us through where that name comes from and also the background of this drink? Is it something, is it one of those cocktails that, that we do know a great deal about the, the history or is it one of those other ones that's kind of more shrouded in mystery, but it's historic. Tell us about the beginnings of this drink. Yeah, well, first of all, this drink, it, you know, it's always hard when you're researching cocktails, I find, because there's information here, there's information there, and is some of it's conflicting. So I always default to the historical oracle, Mr. David Wondrich. So I, I'll be Absolutely. totally honest with you. And it, yeah, I, I mean... Uh, I think most people do. And if you're not, then, I mean, there are, of course, don't get me wrong. There are other people who've definitely contributed to, you know, the history of cocktails, but you know, if I just want this, the shortest route from A to B, I just go right to Windridge. So I'll be honest with you. A lot of the information that I'm, you know, that I say it comes from his, his work. Exactly. So I'm not even going to pretend that uh, it's coming from elsewhere. Although it has, I mean, you know, I have done some research on this drink, but the name, Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it comes from this, uh, happily, a rapid-fire field gun, you know? I mean, yeah, a cannon. <laughs> so isn't that great? But apparently this one was so precise because you didn't need to, to move it, right? So you could actually shoot at one target for many, many rounds, um, causing, you know, the utmost destruction possible. So that's, that's mm -hmm. exciting, isn't it? That the drink was named after that. I, I wanted to let you kind of bring that one up. I nearly mentioned <laughs> that at the beginning of the show. And then I was like, how do you mention that this is a cocktail that's named after a, um, well, piece of weaponry, you know, it's exactly <laughs> so kind of a, a weird one, but it's, it's, it's kind of an iconic name if you don't know the, the meaning behind it as well, right? French 75, it's a cool name. That That's right. So yeah, you, I just think about the French, maybe it's a, and also the 75 refers to, you know, Paris, actually, if I'm not mistaken, the, their um, license plates all end in, so there's 75 in it. Like that, actually, that number actually represents Paris as well. So, wow. so that's, that's a, yeah. Nice so that's tie, a tie in there. In. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, so it's named after this, this, this machine gun thing that well not a machine gun but like a cannon that uh, apparently the americans used to use in world war one but it was developed in around 1897 so um but the cocktail itself so uh, apparently and again i'm getting this from from david wonderich was that um it appears apparently um charles Dickens was making cocktails with tom gin and champagne in was it 18 uh, what's the year? I can't remember the exact year right now, but, oh, actually, let me look. I have, I have the book open to the page, 1867. So, wow. I mean, yeah, so there is, I mean, a kind of precedent for this cocktail being made, not exactly as it is right. today, but, you know, the beginnings of it. And, um, of course, the fact that the Americans were calling, name this, call this cocktail, you know, the French 75 after this gun that they were using, um, so it, it comes from around that that time frame, but it gained no, no, notoriety in Harry Craddock's 
Savoy cocktail book, then that came out in 1930. Mm-hmm. But that but that was a different construction than we see now. I mean, that was built on, you know, uh, an ice filled glass and it, and it was gin and it was like, topped with champagne. So that that's not like a pretty big drink, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and of course, now we see it mostly made in a flute, you know, which we'll get to. Yes. But um, yeah, but um so, so yeah, again, it's, and it was tied back, some people tie it back to Harry's War in Paris, but um, I'm not sure if that's really true. That's, that's uh, a reference I've seen out there a lot as well, but we're, we're, we're talking that kind of period, aren't we? We're talking very much that sort of um, post-World War I, uh, like early, well, 1920s to 1930s period that this cocktail really starts to become known or becomes named. Yeah, exactly. So it, you, you see it before pre-prohibition, but it survives, you know, it served during prohibition in, in Europe and survives it. For, yeah, that's how it seems to me. Fantastic. And of course, yeah. um, folks over here in the US will know if they visited New Orleans that this cocktail has strong ties to that city there. Um, can you talk to us about that? And um, this is something I have no idea about. I've I've definitely had French 75s when I've been to the city, but don't know the, the the kind of tie in there. Is there anything you can explain to us about that? You know what? I'll be honest with you. That's one thing. I don't actually know the exact tie in with New Orleans, mm-hmm. aside from the, the fact that, you know, we had, we did have a lot of bartenders who were like a, a European bartenders who went there to work and there was crossover. Yeah. And, and of course from our nose, bar yeah. um from arno's restaurant calling their bar the french 75 bar and i i don't know if the tie-in came because of the name and suddenly you know um there's you know the place one of the hallowed halls that you go to drink this cocktail or mm-hmm. otherwise you know what i should have done is asked um hannah about this chris yeah. hannah who's who was of course the um the 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 leader of that bar for for many years for many and of years course, yeah yes of course now he's at jewel of the south but um to be honest with you i'm not exactly sure of the but the, many the ties tie-in. in that city to to you know um you know french ties there as well um and also you know cocktails like you mentioned and if if i can move on as well to the two base spirits that we mentioned at the beginning there because of course this is a cocktail that's often, probably most often these days, made with gin, but is also uh, classically made with cognac. Can you tell us about those? But again, where I'm going with that is that the cognac ties to um, New Orleans might, you know, I don't know, spark something in my mind too. But um, yeah, can you tell us about the fact that this drink does have those two base spirits? Do we have any idea which one came first? And um, what makes that what makes that special or different? Right. Well, yeah, it's true. Most people, and the first time I had it, it was with gin. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, before we get into the gin versus cognac debate, again, <laughs> just 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 going back to you know what I read in the, um, one of Wondrich's books was that, you know again 1867 and you know Charles yeah. Dickens mentioning mentioning that the, the champagne and gin tie in. Um, but also, you have to think that you know the the, the French had champagne and, and cognac far prior to that yes. you know so i mean i'm sure that they put that combination together um Great point. and this is something right and this is something that's been speculated on by by others too mm-hmm. so i mean it wasn't named but it was you know i'm sure that 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 combination came up so um again who 
And again, if you were in Paris in kind of World War One era or Right. So even in, or in the 20s before that, you're probably drinking cognac and champagne, Good you know, point. Uh, separately and together rather than gin and champagne so much if you're in Paris. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So um, so that's why I'm thinking that uh, people were probably doing both, but in different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows for sure? You know, you really that's the one thing that's so frustrating and exciting about, you know, this cocktail history and that it's really hard to get to. It's not like now where everything is so documented, right? So we can really mm-hmm. pinpoint who did what when. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, like I said, they, they're, it's highly likely that people were doing things concurrently in different cities and different continents, you know, so um, who really knows for sure. So I'm just going to go ahead and just say, though, it was cognac. wonderful and another great time to new orleans there you know um classic cocktail with conflicting stories on whether it should be a cognac cocktail or another base spirit so uh we've had the uh you know other episodes before we've had the sazerac where that debate comes in too so maybe that's another tie right there um for sure Mm -hmm. so in today's landscape which would you say is the more kind of recognized or more popular version of the drink? Would you say it's gin uh, or would you say it's cognac? And how do both versions of the drink differ in terms of their profile? Well, I think it depends on where you are. Uh, Again, it can be geographical Mm -hmm. um, because in a place like New York, and certainly I'm a little biased because, you know, I used to run a bar where I had the French 70, a Cognac 75 on, you know, all year round. And, um, and, and I've seen them a lot more with Cognac in the New York area for sure. Um, but again, I don't think this is, you know, the widely the, the case across the country, say. So mm-hmm. I'm going to have to give it to gin for popularity. Yep. <laughs> but, but, uh, but again, the Cognac, um, you know, when I, like, as I said, seeing, keeping it on the menu all year round was, was, I think a little bit, uh, surprising for people, but the way I dealt with that or handled that was by changing up the, the, the type of cognac, the style of cognac that I, that I used. Um, Interesting. yeah. And I, I think that it's the same with gin. I always say that I always use this analogy, you know, you're, you're not going to use the same gin that you would for a French 75 or or a Tom Collins or right. a martini or a martini. You know, you're going to choose a particular style of gin or for an improved gin cocktail. Um, and the same with cognac. You know, you're going to choose a particular cognac that matches not only the cocktail but also seasonally. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a seasonal match as well. So that's what I did. You know, in the summertime, I'd use something like a lighter VS that had more floral notes and maybe more white flowers and had a lighter body. And then as we transitioned into fall and winter, I would use a, a cognac with more of a robust flavor profile. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So that's one way to, to deal with that. And in terms of before we dive in, cause I really, yeah, I definitely want to get into all of these ingredients one by yeah. one, but before we do, what are you looking for when someone hands you that French 75? What are you looking for from a perfectly executed version of the drink, whether it's a gin or a cognac base? Well, I, I would like it to be a full flavored cocktail. 
And what I mean by that is I, what I see a lot of people doing is over shaking, especially cocktails that are going to be lengthened with something like, you know, champagne or anything else. You don't need to shake it that hard, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're just, you're diluting and then you're diluting over your dilution. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I don't want an overly diluted drink. I want to be able to taste the components. I want to be able to taste the cognac or the gin and, and of course the champagne as well, mm-hmm. or the, whatever, or whatever, I should say, whatever, the sparkling, the sparkling, the wine. sparkling wine. And, and I want it to be integrated from the first sip. You see this a lot too, where people make a cocktail, then they pour whatever on top and then hand it to you. Um, and then the first sip you're getting is only whatever has been poured on top. You're not, you're not getting a fully integrated cocktail. And that's a pet peeve of mine too. So it's always about that one give it that lift, you know, put that spoon in there. Don't yep. interrupt the bubbles too much, but give it that one lift so that the first taste is going to be a fully integrated cocktail. I think that's such a great point. And I've had French 75s in the past before that were very, you know, enjoyable because let's look at the ingredients, you know, champagne, base spirit, something to make it sweet, yeah. some citrus, right? You know, how can you go wrong with that? But basically just tasted like champagne that had been seasoned with something and had a bit of extra booze rather than this one integrated drink and it's not it is not a bad experience but it's not a great experience and it's not the experience that the the french 75 can and should be and you know like this wonderful cocktail Exactly. And it's not something that you might want to go back to. And that's why I think a lot right. of people are just, just kind of like, friends, and like, oh yeah, whatever. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, because of that, because it's probably been overshaken and it's probably, honestly, the, the, the sparkler has been an afterthought and, um, you know, you know, and, and all of that. So, mm-hmm. so after this episode, I, we are going to redeem, redeem the reputation of the French 75. That that's is my goal point. by doing this. Yes. <laughs> Redemption, Mr. McCarthy. Redemption. <laughs> I want that too because again we're we're, we're going to discuss champagne but I think that's that's also something where if you you see it length a drink lengthened with wine maybe you're just like yeah this is it's, it's a half cocktail right like that mm-hmm. that the wine's almost not part of the drink and you don't treat it as seriously as you might something that's maybe served kind of stirred and up and or or whatever and I think that's crazy because this is a wonderful drink. This is not something that's boring. You should try to be like, yeah, okay, and move on. This is a, a fantastic cocktail. So let's start with the gin consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's just because it's the clear spirit, no, no yeah. preference here at all. Um, what are you looking for? Because cognac, like you said, has many styles, but gin probably even more so these days with mm-hmm. these proliferation of different gins. What are you looking for? What style of gin works well in this cocktail? Well, I think that, again, this cocktail lends itself to a a few different styles. I mean, definitely London Dry, of course. Uh, But you can also integrate a lot of these, quote unquote, the new or what they were calling the new American styles or the new styles of gin that that are less juniper forward and have other botanicals um, at the at the forefront. So um, uh, I, I, I like uh, you know, something that's not too, and so many gins are really high ABV these days, but it doesn't yeah. have to be anything um, that's, you know, in the mid to high 40s uh, uh, ABV, yeah. alcohol by volume, because again, we're, we're, we're incorporating a sparkling wine, which is going to have a lower ABV. So, you know, you, you, you don't need to go overboard on, on that. And again, it's about, and I'm going to jump ahead, but it's about matching also with your sparkler. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a big consideration as well. Um, 
And you mentioned those gins these days that have a lot of kind of newer botanicals or lighter, more floral, fruity, mm-hmm. even different styles. Um, there's a few bottles out there, not too many, but there are a few that really dial into juniper. And I wonder whether in my mind, I don't know whether I want the gin to be too junipery. Of course, it has to have that characteristic, but too much for this because in my mind, that might be clashing with a sparkling wine. Is that just my flavor preference there, or, or is that something you maybe agree with too? Well, that's that's completely possible. But again, it can also be enhanced by the sparkling wine, depending on which one you choose. So Ooh. I think, uh, you know, yeah. So I think it's really, it just really depends. Okay, should we just jump right into the, talking about the sparkling right now? Yeah, or, or before you do, <laughs> or, yeah, let's do okay. let's do that. And before you do, but maybe that's the answer. Which one are you thinking about first? Are you thinking about the sparkling or are you thinking about the base spirit if you were, you know, creating this from scratch? And Well, okay, let's, if we're talking about practically speaking, let's say you're, you know, we're already in a bar and I already have right. a stock of whatever, then, you know, you have to be, you know, practical. Okay, what, what yep. sparklers do I, do I stock? You know, I mean, because realistically, we, we wish we could change every, you know, every component for every cocktail, but we can't do that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, just work with what you have, right? I mean, not everyone can afford to put sh- actual champagne into into cocktails, mm-hmm. um, depending on where you work. So, you know, you just have to be uh, practical and, and creative that way. Uh, but that said, I would tend to, to think about the, the base spirit first. Um, I would tend to, yeah, I think I would tend to think about the base spirit yeah. first. Okay. And then, yeah, do you want to jump into champagne or sparkling wine now before we go, before we do cognac? Well, okay, no, let's just do cognac then. Okay. I, mean, I just keep referring to it. I just feel we're teasing. We're just, te- let's just keep we're teasing, teasing the that, audience. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Getting ready for the, <laughs> getting ready for the bubbles. That's good. On the edge yeah. of our shoot seats here. Um, right. Yeah. So cognac, um, talk us through the different styles and talk us through, you, you mentioned seasons before and how that right. might affect what you're pouring. Right. All right. So of course, cognac just quickly, you know, you have a VS, which is age or minimum of two years in oak, and then a VSOP, which is age or minimum of four years. So those are the probably as far as I'd go age-wise in a French 75. Um, I wouldn't go to an XO, which is a 10-year um, mm-hmm. pro, uh, minimum aging, only because it's, well, mostly because, you know, that's a lot of oak influence and not all of them have that as present, but, yeah. you know, also it's, there's a cost factor. I don't think that, you know, there's a need to put those into your cocktail, unless you're, you know, you're working at some, there are those spectacular bars out there that do have their age spirits in cocktails and you, you know, guests are more than happy to pay for them. And mm-hmm. that's fine too, but let's just keep it to, you know, our kind of more kind of everyday application. So I'd probably, again, go stay with the, the VSs in, in, in the, the warmer months, but again, even within the VS um, age st- group there um there's there's a great variety as well you know again depending on where the cognac's coming from um the house style that kind of thing there are ones that have more of an unctuousness than others so again you know it's really choosing uh when i first i always say tell this not really a story but just whenever when i first started working in uh cocktail bar we only had one expression there was only one brand and one expression that we used all year round and uh you know, up to when, when the last time I was running a bar, I had mm-hmm. at least nine or 10 different cognacs on the back bar, you know, nice. as well as, yeah, as well as, you know, the, the, the rotating well. So, wow. um, yeah, 
So, um, you know, well, it was a French theme bar, so I had to, I had to have at least have that Darling, it was de rigueur. It was de rigueur. It was a must. But, <laughs> but, um, but, but, yeah. So it it really just depends again. And there are some great VSs you can you can get that um, that can actually take you all year round. Mm-hmm. Also, you you just have to find them, you know. And then again, VSOPs. If you want a little bit more body and a little bit more oak influence, maybe a little bit more ginger and you know, kind of cinnamon notes. Yeah. So again, it really, you, that's what I'm saying about this cocktail too, is that you can get creative because there, you, there's the moving parts. There's the gin versus cognac. Uh, there's a style of gin versus the styles of cognac. Then of course, we're going to get into the sparkling, right? And as far as, you know, the, the sweeteners go, again, you can, you know, it's generally a one-to-one simple syrup, but yeah. Hey, if, you know, if it's, if it's, you know, the warmer months, why not get into uh, a, a, a darker sugar syrup? You could use a Demerara. You could use a, you know, a, you could even use a coconut sugar syrup. I mean, ag- again, you know, you can play around, right? The mm-hmm. lemon juice I find is fairly straight. I mean, as long as your lemon juice is fresh. Fresh is best. Um, fresh is always best. And, you know, not to be taken for granted, there's, I'm sure a lot of people have had those French 75s with, you know, three day old lemon juice, which definitely didn't help the cause. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or even quite frankly, lemon juice that is, I know there's these bars that that, uh, squeeze a la minute and that's great too. However, that when lemon juice or citrus is that fresh, it really is super, super, really, really tart. Right. So yeah, that's tight some, as well, right? Like you, it, you can it, taste that. Yeah. So that's something to consider too. I mean, that can be great, but I personally like to let my juice sit just for, you know, a little bit just to have it calm down. Just, just to, to have that. Up. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, just another thing to consider. Well, we've reached the we've reached the pinnacle here. Got a drum roll going on in the background. Sparkling wine, champagne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's pop this cork. Let's shall pop we? the cork. But, we'll uh, <laughs> let's yeah. pop the cork. Tell no, us about it. Tell us everything. Right. Well, no, I mean, it's just something that's taken for granted. And again, I understand that sometimes it's just a practical decision. You know, you only have the one type of sparkling, you know, that you use for all the cocktails, and it's usually probably some kind of prosecco, which is can be fine yeah you know um or some kind of you know american sparkling uh but you know again we have so many options these days right so whether it is something like a champagne uh that can be expensive um quite frankly but there are certain champagnes that are more affordable but they um the -hmm. quality is not always always there yeah so some alternatives yeah some alternatives we have i mean i love cava as an Ooh. alternative yeah cava <clears throat> sorry from spain that is made in the method uh, champenoise so it's made like a champagne mm-hmm. but um i mean usually the aging is like a minimum of nine months on lees where champagne i believe is 15 uh to 18 months um, so, so you are getting that kind of, you know, more body and that, that yeasty character and a lot of cavas are, you know, they're, they're, they can be very savory and they're, they're really food friendly, um, and they have the body. So cavas are great and, and they're, they're very affordable. I mean, so I cava, love cava by the way, just as a side note and, and, and corpinat now, which is, which is cava, right. But it's this, this kind of new 
I don't know, group that's broken away from Carver. But I, I do love those wines and I do think there's some wonderful value to be found there. Just if you're if you're taking a break from cocktails and you're looking for wine, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. Definitely. I totally agree. Um, and yeah, there's Corpinan. There's also a style called the Cava de Paraje Calificado, mm-hmm. which is made from like older vines. And those vines are aged for a minimum, I believe, up to 36 months. I don't know why oh, people wow. just don't, don't speak in years. That's three years. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, 36 why? months, 12, <laughs> four. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Right? Um, yeah, that's but weird. Also, I've cool never about considered that, that. Right? It's, it's always so confusing. <laughs> just tell me in years. Anyway, but um, but and they're also like fully traceable. Uh, so it's it's a different another level of of cava as well, um, and then you have things that uh, another great value Cremont, you know right. the Cremont um, from different cities. You have Cremont de, de Bourgogne, like from Burgundy, Cremont d'Alsace, and those are um, sparklings that tend to be they have a little bit less carbonation. They're less forceful, mm-hmm. um, but they also are again they're made in this traditional method, and they are again another great. Uh, option uh, and another affordable option. And then you have things like Pet Nat, which is really trending right now, right? right? Made with this, you know, method, method ancestral. So, you know, with this fermentation in the bottle, not going through the secondary fermentation like champagne does or, or method champagne or like Cava does. So Pet Nats can be great too. And they're great for those people who want, because uh, a lot of Pet Nats are made in a kind of biodynamic way or or they're organic, you know, they can, they're unfiltered. Um, they don't have any sugar added to them. So for the people who, you know, want to like wave the natural wine flag, yeah. um, that's, that's a great option too. So, um, and pet nuts generally, not generally, some pet nuts can have a more, you know, just made in that natural style. So again, a completely different flavor that you, you'd have to match your base spirit right. with, you know? Um, so- and, and and so this this sparkling then this sparkling component of the drink probably perhaps more variation than any other component that we've that we've spoken about before more more options there i wonder though you know for for your ultimate version of the drink um i'm assuming you're going for champagne uh, excuse me for assuming is that correct <laughs> I, I'm going for the right champagne. You, so, so that was going to so be if, my follow-up. I, I just wanted, I just wanted to, I, I just wanted to make sure we were on the same page there. Um, but therefore, what style of champagne are you looking for? Um, yeah, when, when when you're making this drink, what what are you looking for in terms of? Are you looking for something with more body? Are you looking for something that's maybe more citrus and fresher and lighter? Are you looking for more more time on lees? Are you looking for an oxidative style that maybe gets some of those sherry notes um yeah where, where do you go when it comes to champagne well if i'm doing making this say with gin say um you know hell is frozen over and i'm about to make this gin for n75 no. <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just kidding i i love gin gin was my one of my first loves uh i i love gin um so yeah, so I'm making this with gin. I'm going to look for uh, a lighter, fresher style of of champagne. I don't like to get into um, brands, but there are definitely ones that um, maybe say are based off of say Chardonnay, right? Yeah, um, that could to, could lend more to this this 
this profile of just fresher um and and of course the the actual presence of bubbles is hugely important you know i mean and that, again that's not to be uh downplayed either just the, the persistence of mm-hmm. the moose yeah <laughs> so um but 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 yeah something that's for the gin something that's lighter and fresher i like generally a for a cocktail, a brute style, when I'm if I'm drinking, I like even drier than brute. I could go, you know, zero brute Ooh. or extra brute. Yeah, when I'm drinking champagne. But I think with um, unless you're going to adjust your your specs, and we haven't spoken about the specs yet. Mm-hmm. I think just for the classic specs, a brute champagne works. Um, right. It's kind of kind of more cocktail. rounded in that in that sense. It's it, it's kind of more, yeah. more plug and play. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because because you do have to take more care, and you do have to um, adjust if you're if you're using a, a something something dry. Or no- yeah, and when I'm drinking those, typically as well, I I don't know about yourself, but when I'm drinking those on my own, I'm usually looking for some kind of food with them too. Maybe that's just my palate, but um, I do mm-hmm. I do like to try and match those with something. So yeah, I can definitely see why that would require more care. Um, and then how about for cognac? For cognac, so now I again depending on the the cognac, you could, and again it depending on the flavor profile you want to achieve. You know what I mean? Again, you could you could use a lighter style cognac and then you know go with a, a lighter style champagne also, but um, I'd probably go for something a little bit more. Now, if I'm sticking with champagne, maybe I'm going to go for something based off of Pinot Meunier, Pinot Noir. Now, something mm-hmm. with a little bit more. Um, maybe something with a little bit more red fruit to, to contrast this cognac, um, but also something with a little bit more body to match the weight of the cognac as well. Um, and I also could e- e- bring in a good cava here for for the cognac too. I think that that would could work very well depending on the cognac because of that that savoriness. But if we're using champagne, I just use something with uh, maybe a little bit more, like you said, lazy, a little bit more of this yeasty breadiness to it, a yeah. little bit more body, um, still staying with brute, a brute champagne. Um, Sounds wonderful. That's that's where I tend to go when I'm <laughs> drinking champagne, by the way, as well, in case anyone's listening and wants to send me champagne. They, right. that, that's, that's my preference. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Blanc de Noir. Um, are there any other points that you would like to add about ingredients before we do speak about the, the specs here? Okay. Just, you know, again, if, if you have the, you know, the ability to and the, the luxury to play around. You know, just try, I mean, I didn't, there's all other sparklings I didn't even get to mention, like there's French Accord or there's wine from the Dock. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a a lot depending on, you you know, your budget. And again, you know, depending on the bar, sometimes bars have the budgets and it's just devil may care, you know, like, let's just do it. So, um, or, or again, if you don't have the budget, there are some excellently priced, um, some people you know, kind of knock Prosecco, but it, absolutely. I mean, there are some really wonderful drier style Proseccos out there mm-hmm. that, you know, that can work. Um, and if you really want to throw a twist in a thing, I mean, Lambrusco, you know, put some wow. Lambrusco in there. I mean, now we're really, we're now we, exactly. Yeah, now we're I'm, getting crazy. Uh, we're, we're really I'm not sure what this up, drink is I mean, now, but I want to try it. I know. <laughs> I'm not sure right. what this cocktail is. So, uh, right. So, um, so that's all I'm saying. Experiment. Wonderful. So classic specs or your preferred specs, therefore, when you're making a gin-based French 75, what would those be? 
Um, you know what? It's actually same for the gin and and the cognac for me. It's just Two, another uh, twofer. Sorry, another twofer. another twofer, right? Again, but with with the I will qualify this by saying that of course you always depending on the, the your your base spirit depending on everything else you can modify right and you, you mm-hmm. should be open to modification but half half one so half uh, lemon juice half of the the um the, the triple uh, sorry, <laughs> I was about to say <laughs> the simple syrup um, and um, one ounce of the base spirit. And then a, a light shake. So again, don't overshake it, you know, fine strain it. And then I like about an ounce and a half to two ounces of sparkling wine to top it off. Right. Not more. And poured eyeballed into the glass. Eyeballed. <laughs> well, you know, it is, it's true. It, it, it is. It, yeah. It, it can be difficult. So, so what you do normally or what I would do is you know you test one and you measure it out and you see you actually measure it and you see Mm -hmm. where the lines are right Mm -hmm. and then you know you can go from there because it's true you it's really hard to jigger something sparkling because you know the the moose raises up and then it goes down and then you're like where am i where am i so um but for god's sakes and always under pour that sparkling you know because you can always add more but once you've over poured it it's you know the drink is done game over and, and you only get that one chance, right? <laughs> you only get, you can't redeem yourself. No, but seriously, if you, especially if you're making that drink for somebody for the first time, you know, it's really yeah. important because they, you know, they, that might be that defining moment for them. And they might go, oh my God, I knew I hated this drink. <laughs> or, oh my God, right? or, oh my God, I can't believe it. I, I love this drink and I'm coming back to see you again and again, you, you wonderful bartender, you. And do you, do you, prefer the flute then i think that's that that's kind of the 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 modern norm when it comes to serving this drink um interested to hear your thoughts on on glassware and um building as well as you you did mention earlier there with with the spoon um so talk us through those two points definitely so um so again for the build it's you know i would start with the the sugar so right the simple syrup then the lemon then my base spirit into the tin, you know, with ice, mm-hmm. gentle shake, fine straining out. Now, I personally like this cocktail in a small coupe because I, I like the way it looks and I, I prefer it in a coupe. However, I actually, to be honest with you, if I'm drinking it, I would put it in a wine glass, just mm-hmm. the way that people drink champagne a lot. Now these days mm-hmm. people, I think industry people, um, that's ideally the way. However, I realize that when you go out to a bar, you don't want a French 75 in a wine glass. You definitely don't. So, because no. you know, it's got to be celebratory. It's got to look, it's got to look the part, put it that yep. way. So, so a flute is fine. A flute is fine. And that's what most people would probably serve it in. But I, oh, I've always served mine in, in a coupe. I am, I'm so with you there. And I am so yeah. with you in terms of that as the glassware rather than the flute. And I think that's where maybe, Maybe some folks might not, you know, like see it as this this bona fide cocktail because, you know, like the the champagne flute, right? Like, what is it? What is this kind of like an upgraded mimosa or something, right? Like, it's right. You, you don't take it as seriously when it's in a flute, but if it's in a coupe, it just looks wonderful. It looks more like a, I don't know, I, I it just that to me makes so much more sense and feels like a more celebratory occasion, like you say, if you're if you're drinking that French seventy five out of the the classic coupe. 
Um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And, these and days, you're more likely to, sorry. No, all I was going to say that there's just so many kind of all-purpose coupes that look wonderful that you don't have to spend that much money on. You know, I always kind of refer back to the practicalities of things because I know it's just yes. the reality. Um, and yeah, like, you know, and you're right. Like, if the, the, the flute has been abused, you know, I, I blame all those bottomless, boozy brunches. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And also, right. it's more likely in your bar that you will have, you know, coops in your chiller or freezer or whatever, you know, to, to keep them cold before you're serving drinks, then you will have flutes because depending on the bar, right? Chances are you, this is not a drink you might serve too many of. It really depends where you are and what your bar's focus is. But also, yeah, keeping flutes in the, in the, in the fridge or freezer might seem kind of precarious. So let's, let's just, let's just call it now. Let's go with the, flute. <laughs> uh, the, the coop, not the flute. The coop, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. That's yeah, it. flutes. Settled. Yeah, you, flutes. You can't stack them, you know, and you're gonna knock mm-hmm. them over in the fridge, you know. So, nah, forget but um, it. forget about it. And um, <laughs> and and then for the for the garnish, I do like a properly expressed lemon twist, you know. And it, it's kind of the the it, it is the standard garnish. It tends mm-hmm. to look nice on a rim, but again don't express it from too close a range. You know, I like to hold it up maybe, you know, and <laughs> this can look like it overly dramatic, but I'm talking like eight, six to eight inches above the glass because w- what tends to happen is it, you just, if it's too close, you just get too much lemon. So that again, right. all you're drinking is this kind of, you know, lemon thing, right? This, this lemony champagne thing. So yeah. you've got to be very, very careful with that. Um, and, and is, and you is might, your twist going in there or are you leaving it out after? Are you just expressing and, and, and discarding? Uh, these days it's an express and discard. I used to leave it on the, on the side of the glass. Cause it looked, you know, I always do my manicured and it just looked nice. as kind of almost mm-hmm. like this pig, this pig tail, you know, there, <laughs> this, this, this curly thing, it, it can look nice, but, um, it can get in the way, especially if people want to like drop it into their drink. Um, you know, I tend to save people for themselves and just, just take it mm-hmm. away these days. <laughs> just yeah. take it away. <laughs> yeah. I'm going, that, yeah, that's, that, that's my thinking too. This is this French 75 that I've been building in my mind throughout the course yeah. of this episode. It's really, it's really coming together right now. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> and, 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 and looking at it, it's in a coop and there's no, there's no twist in there. The twist has been discarded by now. Right, right. But I will say that it's amazing how many people think a drink's not finished unless it has a, a, a some right. kind of garnish on it. <laughs> you know, again, you know, people are feasting with their eyes and they want something. You know, that, you know, maybe it's yeah. maybe it's not maybe it's not something that's you know attached with a mini peg. Maybe it's not that, mm-hmm. but they want something something on that on that cocktail. Yeah, just to make sure, yeah, that that you were finished with it at the bar before it arrived at their table, right? Like everything's in here, right? Like. You, you, Yeah, exactly. Um, But I'm not talking about those people who actually reach across the bar and pull the try to pull the drink away before you're actually finished with it. Those people don't care about a garnish. Oh my god! (laughs) You mean the worst people in the world? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, any final thoughts on the French 75 before we move into the final segment of today's episode? Uh, I would just say, you know. Again, don't just don't take this drink for granted. Maybe, you know, revisit it, play around with it, have your way with it. And, you know, just <laughs> redemption. Um, and, and yeah, I just, that's, that's about it. It really is a delightful cocktail. And on it, I, in all honesty, often when I see it on menus, I'll order it because I just, I really enjoy drinking these. Um, 
And I guess if it's on a menu, you know as well that the person cares about it because they've they've made the effort to put it on the menu, right? Like this isn't one that is demanding a space on every single cocktail menu around the country, right? So if someone's put it on there, this is this is something they're taking care of. So try it. You have a lot of faith, Tim McCadden. <laughs> I, I honestly, I don't know if I'd say that. I don't know if I agree with that because Lord knows that there's a lot of reasons people put uh, cocktails on menus. We, we hope so. I mean, that that is the hope and that is the goal. <laughs> so, um, so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Amazing. Wonderful. Well, Frankie, time to move into the recurring feature of Cocktail College where we get to know a little bit more about our guests by answering our stock questions. So are you ready? Uh, Okay, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not usually good with these rapid fire things, but you know. Take as much time as you need. No pun intended there, rapid fire. (laughs) See what I did? Oh God, that went straight over my head. I missed the target. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic, just just sat here thinking of puns just not coming to me awful i love a pun as well question number one what style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar all right so this is a a difficult one because again it depends on you know what kind of bar like as i said i used to run a french theme bar so i mean i had all kinds of french as much french spirits and wines and liquids that I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of whiskey, you know, I do love whiskey too. And there's just so many world whiskeys from all across the globe that I, fi- I did find whiskey taking up a lot of space, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. But again, if I were moving into a bar now, there'd be a lot more, um, there'd be a lot more shochu and sake and a lot more just, uh, just everything. I mean, we, there's just so much right now. And I know I'm not giving you a great answer because I'm not, I'm one of these people. I just want everything, but I guess I would say probably a lot of whiskey mm-hmm. and, and also cause people just ask for it. I mean, as much, as much as there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gins, yeah. uh, people love gin, but they're, they don't generally sit there and go, Oh, you know, let's see that gin selection. Right. You know, whereas, whereas with whiskey, people will actually ask for the whiskey selection. Great point. And, you know, and revel in it and, and let's be honest and purchase it. Yeah. And right. And that's the goal when you're (laughs) running a bar. Well, one of the goals, right? (laughs) Sales, sales. There we go. Question number two, which ingredient or tool do you think is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Again, a tough one. I mean, I think a tongs, I, I, I started using tongs Mm -hmm. quite a few years ago and it's just like to pick up ice and to pick up garnishes yep. and to even use like one in each hand to garnish like those, Ooh. you know, sp- Spanish bartenders can do when they're making like that proper GNT. Um, but uh, so I think, t- and, and you just look cool. If you can really handle your tongs well, can you, can you handle your tongs, darling? <laughs> yeah, but if you can handle your tongs, it's a very, very great skill. Uh, and I go from a skill to a scale. And I'll be, this is one of those do as I say, not as I do, because I honestly don't own a scale, but it's on my list of things to get because it's so important to, for proper measurements. Yep. Um, Because I'm one of those old school, like you said, eyeballers kind of like, yeah, that's, that's about enough. (laughs) But I realized that, you know, yeah, a scale is a great thing. And as far as an ingredient, 
I'd say grapefruit liqueur. You know, you can nice. use it. I, I pick up grapefruit liqueur for just just so often. Uh, for It goes with in so many cocktails. I mean, you can really create and build around it or use it as a mod. It's a great modifier, rather, um, just with any spirit. So grapefruit mm-hmm. liqueur. And, and it's fun. pink and pretty. Sorry. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. What's not to love? But also, I, I was going to say a flavor that people love as well, right? Like, I, I think, you know, you put grapefruit in there on, as a component of a cocktail. People will see that and they instantly gravitate towards it, I think. Yeah, and it's amazing. Not everyone likes, you know, not everyone thinks, oh, my God, I'm going to eat a grapefruit today. No. You know, like, <laughs> I can't, can't wait. Right? But but if you once you sweeten it up, you know, it's just it's such a beautiful, beautiful flavor. Like I said, this just goes with so many, so many things. And and again, the color and, and everything. I just I love grapefruits. Um, I tend to like like things that are more bitter rather than sweet, but it's bitter and sweet and it's just a beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received in this industry? Well, Aside from my my own mantras that I tell myself, um, I, I would say that uh, well, one very very important piece of advice that I got from uh, Gary Reagan was that recipes are just guidelines, and it it seems like a, a basic thing now, or maybe an obvious thing, but he told me this years ago. I want to I won't say how many years ago, but but and it was just so eye opening and so true, and I. I I learned the hard way, you know, that because I used to, before I became a more confident cocktail bartender, I, uh, you know, I would follow recipes and I made this one big mistake once I was making this big batch and I followed the recipe instead of tasting it. I just kind of made it and it, it turned out horribly. And <laughs> so I said, what, yeah. what happened? What happened? I said, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I followed the recipe, Yeah, you know, and, and that was before he said that to me. But when he said that to me, I thought back to that moment. And then I thought back to all those other times when I just followed the recipe rather than following my own instincts or, you know, and and yeah. vary, and making variations, mm-hmm. you know, or like adjustments, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, and that's so important. And you need to, you do need to get to a point where you can actually trust your own palate and you know what balance tastes like, or you know what you want something to taste like. Because um, that's very important too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's... You, you, it's one thing to make adjustments, but if you're if you're just kind of going in different directions and it doesn't end up being better than the original recipe, then that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but uh, but definitely recipes as look at it as just a guideline, and that's why I often hesitate too when people ask me, "How do you make this?" Or yep. and my own my own drinks sometimes are very they can be very fluid, you know, because it's hard to sometimes for me to write down an exact recipe because it really depends on you know how the the produce tasted that day exactly. or what spirit I'm using or what brand I'm using. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's just so many variations. Um, and to that point, when someone does come up with a universal recipe, like a classic that people can make over and over again, and it comes out so well that they keep making it, you know, that also is, is a great, uh, an achievement as mm-hmm. well, I think. Yeah. Um, so. And I mean, that's come up so many, uh, look how many times that's come up in, in today's episode, which is just like, yeah, it depends, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it really depends. And and that's also, if you'll allow me to say, like somewhat of the genesis for this show, when I used to work as a chef, the whole idea was you, you'd learn how to make recipes, but it, you know, the, the recipe is a, is a set of guidelines and it's not, you know, the Bible that you have to follow just because like you said, produce changes, ingredients can be different. If you sub in one ingredient for another, one gym for another, right, can be so different. So no, I'm, I, 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 couldn't agree more with you there. 
Yes, yes. And just taste, taste, taste. You know, again, I and, and yeah. I remember seeing this one uh, chef, Kathy Casey, you know, when she was just taste everything around her. And I remember thinking, my God, why is she, you know, yep. <laughs> but it was so important. You know, she, she just kept shoving things into her mouth. I was thinking, is she hungry? No, it's just, <laughs> she, she's tasting so she knows what she's working with. And I learned that too. And it's just so important things, so, so, such important lessons, uh, especially for newer bartenders coming up, but also for seasoned people who, again, just kind of do things by rote, mm-hmm. you know? Excellent yeah. advice there. Question number four, if you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? Well, first of all, Tim, this question is morbid. What? I don't want to be thinking about the end of life, okay? All right. I'll just, I'll just say, well, you know. the, 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 the question is loosely phrased enough so that it could be, you could visit that bar every day for the rest of your life, but it, that's the only one you're going to. You're right. Well, um, again, I hate absolutes, but I will say that one bar that I particularly loved over the years, it's not a famous cocktail bar, but it happens to be in Paris. Uh, I hate to be so predictable, but it's mm-hmm. called La, La, La Closerie de Lilas. I don't know if you've heard of that place. It's I in uh, Montparnasse. Yeah, it's on Boulevard Montparnasse. And it's it, it dates back to the late 19th century. And it's one of those places that started, you know, as a cafe that was frequented by, you know, writers and artists, you know, the Hemingways and even before him, like Verlaine and people like that, a place where people gathered, poets gathered. And just, I don't know how, I just came across it on one of my trips to Paris when I was much, a lot younger. And uh, it's got this beautiful, just, it's just this typical, gorgeous, dimly lit, like the lighting is all golden. The, the banquettes are this ox blood red. It's got this beautiful small bar. There's a piano player, you know, the antique glassware. And it's, and, and you really feel that palpable sense of history when you sit in this place. And the times that I've gone there, all the people around were like either kind of louche characters or they're people that I just wanted to know a lot more about, you know, so it's a place you just sit there. Yeah. And you just revel in your cocktail and the people that are there. And at the time people were smoking. So it was all, you know, it was all like filled with that. It was just so atmospheric. So that's one place that I've always been, able to escape in and I'd like because I like bars that that where I can escape yeah. you know I don't want to be reminded of reality I want to be taken out of my reality when I go into a bar um which is why I don't frequent a lot of like, I'm not a person who goes to a lot of dive bars mm-hmm. unless it, it's this type of dive bar you know mm-hmm. because I don't need to be <laughs> I don't need to drink that badly <laughs> you know what I mean so um well so I love your place. description there because I, I I felt transported myself it sounded like a wonderful place yeah, it, it really is. Look it up sometime and better still go if you're, you know, and again, it's not necessarily about the cocktails. It's about, it, it might be a good place to have a French 75 or just a glass of champagne, but it's about that atmosphere. And I'll throw in as a runner up um, Black Angels Bar in Prague. I don't know if you've been to that bar, no. but that it's, an, it's a, yeah, it's in a, I don't know, many bars in Prague are, establishments are underground. Um, and it's one of those underground places that they redid. And again, it's one of those, it's got different rooms and it's a beautiful a beautiful place. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, so, ambience. Yeah. Final That's question. all about the ambience, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Final question here, and you, you'll have to forgive me for this one as well because it's slightly morbid too. Um, if you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, sorry, uh, what would you order <laughs> or make? Well, first of all, it would be a 
Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it'll excuse that morbidity. You're going to have to change that question. Um, <laughs> but it would be an ice cold, wet, drum roll please, gin martini with a twist and an olive. Yes. And you might as well like back me up on it since it's going to be my last. Just, just actually just give me three or four. Just yeah. line them up. Absolutely. <laughs> I love I love the double I love the twist in the olive you know I'm indecisive so I'll well, often you know, go both yeah and why should you have to decide quite frankly you know what I mean like why why should you I want but yeah and it's like again I love you know especially with gin and I love having a little snack as well and you need that kind of balance of that saltiness you don't need it I'm just saying it's it's a wonderful thing to have yeah and again you know with the lemon Again, not express too too close, please, from on high, yeah. or just better still, give it to me. I'll express it myself if I want to. <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah, but just I love I love a great martini. You're in company. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, Frankie, thank you so much. <laughs> it's been it's been wonderful. Um, the, definitely the first episode we've spent discussing a drink named after a cannon, a large scale <laughs> <laughs> artillery weapons. Um, it's a killer drink though. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> no, well, thank you. It's been a joy. Just I, I, honestly, I could just get carried away. It's listening to your very, very gentle accent there. I love it. Well, thank you very much. And <laughs> thank you very much for your time today. Um, I'm going to go and take out all of the flutes from my freezer and replace them with coops. Smash them, darling. Smash them on the ground. And yeah, put those coops in there and stack them. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on vinepair.com as a transcript. So you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, VinePair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Greenberg, art director at VinePair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. <laughs>